Good morning, Helen. Good morning. So he went off to America. And, uh, you know, Scottish people, Scottish heritage, you know, they're very industrious, they're hardworking, they're also, um, uh, what, what's the word I want? Um, they're what? Frugal, they're stingy, that's a good word. <laughs> anyway, this kid did well, and he prospered over here in America, he'd been over here about 20 years, or about 20 years, and he decided he ought to go home and visit. So he take the, got on the boat, and he goes back home, and uh, and sure enough, his brothers, all four of them, were still there, and they were all living at home still, which he was kind of amazed at. They all were still there in their, in their family home, and uh, they were all hale and hearty and doing well. One thing he thought was a bit crazy, they all had tremendous beards. All these four brothers, they had these beards, like, clear down to their belly buttons, just shaggy, and uh, he thought that was a bit over, over the top. But anyway, before he went to leave to come back to America, he said to his brothers, he said, man, this is just on my mind, I got to ask for a leave. How come you all got these shaggy, huge, long beards? And his oldest brother, acting as a spokesman, said, well, Johnny, tis your fault. What was we to do? When you left home, you took the razor. <laughs> anyway, there you go. It's an excuse if you want to grow a beard, I guess. Um, but it actually... It actually, you know, is a, a, a reminder of how easy we can make excuses for a lot of things. And we can say, well, I can't do anything about it because somebody took the razor. But that's when you find a pair of scissors or you do something different if somebody took your razor. You don't just use that as an excuse. We are looking at the issue and the story and the event of Noah's flood. If you were here last week... We talked about, from Genesis chapter 7, we talked about the flood itself, the event, and I just want to take a moment and recap a few of those items. I have it there in your sermon notes, um, and I want to focus on the issue, not of the flood, the event itself, which we talked about last week, and there's some excellent materials about all this online and in books um, of, of the geology and the rearrangement and of the earth's surface and the significance of the flood and what you would expect from such an event and what indeed the geology of our world looks like, um, quite amazing. But um, I want to focus a little more on the aspect of the shelter provided by the ark. <clears throat> I have some of the uh, statistics, or not some of the statistics, some of the high points there, the ark itself certainly is not going to win any beauty contest. You know, if uh, if you took the billion-dollar yachts that are out there today, some of them look like their their spaceship come down onto the water, and they're just so sleek and graceful, and they have all these elegant designs and so forth. Um, I don't know; nobody knows exactly what the ark looked like, but guarantee you, it wasn't like that. It was just a wooden box, um, very utilitarian in how it might have. It would have been built because not only was it not out to win a beauty contest, there was no one there to look at it. So it really didn't make any difference um, how rugged or whatever it might have looked. But it was big. I have here uh, the, the word massive. Um, 100,000 square feet doesn't seem like a whole lot. I mean, in our day and time with these gigantic warehouses, for example... Uh, up and down along 81 that are uh, a million, two million square feet, some of them. 
Um, there are several stories tall. And, and so we look at these, we look at a figure like 100,000 square feet. If you figure out the, the, the footage given to us in Genesis, it's about 101,000, something like that. Um, doesn't seem like that much of a massive, huge play thing, and yet it really is. Um, yesterday, King Charles of England was coronated, and uh, that was done in Westminster Abbey. You've seen that church, I'm sure, before. It's a massive building, um, has chapels and cloisters and um, crypts and all kinds of all kinds of, of wild things within that building. I mean, there's areas for this and areas for that. Of course, the main sanctuary uh, area, uh, not called the sanctuary in the Anglican tradition, but the high altar there where he was uh, coordinated. That whole building, which is massive in size, is 32,000 square feet. Um, you can picture a football field, 100. Uh, 300 feet long, 109 feet wide. If you measure that out, or if you multiply that out, you get uh, 30, a little over 33,000 square feet. 32,000 square feet. I'm sorry. 32, 32. Uh, let me not. Yeah, 32. I wrote it down here. 32,780. That's the square footage of a football field. So. Noah's Ark would be essentially the size of three football fields because he had three decks stacked on top of each other. It wasn't as wide as a football field, but it was longer than a football field. Uh, not a warehouse particularly, but a pretty big, pretty big boat. A lot of square footage, a lot of space. Um, he brought the animals in as the Lord sent them in. And that one bullet point there that says, the Lord shut them in. That's in chapter 7, verse 16. I think that's significant. And that's where I'd like to focus. The fact that, that God took responsibility to preserve the human race. He was tempted to wipe it out and start over. But he said, no, I've already started this. And kind of like, you know, um, I met with a couple yesterday who will be getting married later this summer. Kind of like marriage. The commitment that God has to us is one that says, even though we fussed or even though we've, I've been disappointed, even though I've been hurt or, or sinned against, um, at all costs, I will do all possible to maintain the reality of this life, of this relationship. So God was tempted to start over, but he didn't want to start over. I'm talking about with the whole human idea, with the whole human race. He had Noah. And he used that as a, as a place to, to weigh in on this situation and preserve what he had already created to hang on to his marriage to mankind. And that's what he did. He did what he, what he, what he could. He did what was necessary. And so it says that God shut them in the ark. And I'm just simply saying that that statement that God closed the door is uh, an emphasis of the fact that God was taking responsibility from here on out. Noah did what he could do, and he did a lot. But now it was God's turn. And so it says, when the water rose, it says the ark floated. That's all it was supposed to do. It just bobbed up and down. It wasn't going anywhere. I don't know where all it went. Like, we don't know, of course, during that one-year period, basically, when um, it floated, or the, the biggest six months, I'll say, out of the year, when it was floating on the water, 
We don't know where all it might have moved back and forth. Really doesn't matter because everything was just all busted up at that point. And the ark was just a little, a, a little thing that bobbed on the water of the earth. But all the precious life of, of animals and of human beings were there. And so um, it was that God preserved life and protected it because he sheltered it. Here's a, a quote you would get if you look at Wikipedia that says, um, of such a flood would have been impossible. And there is no evidence of it, one whatsoever. Just thought I'd throw that in. That m- most scientists agree on this, of course, it says. Um, you can read everything. Uh, when you think of those many souls outside of the ark, which is the, which is the point of the story, that everyone else perished. And Jesus said, spiritually for us today, that God loves the world, that he gave his son as the ark today, so that whoever believes in him will not perish. And I want to come back to that, I believe, next week. Um, what an awful, horrible scene it would have been. Or, or, but, but, the, but, the, but the reason I wanted to show that little painting was to, to think of the security of those within, in spite of the horrors without. To think of how it is that amidst whatever storm or whatever kind of a, of a holocaust that's happening, here was, this, here was this wooden wall, these wooden walls that stayed up above it all, that moved with the flow and kept them safe. I mean, sometimes it is absolutely amazing to think of what shelter means. This is an ice fishing shanty. I don't know if any of you ever done going ice fishing, but you know, as human beings, sometimes in the bitter cold or the wind, well, this is a pretty fancy looking one from the ones that I've seen. But those guys go out there and fish all day long. It might be zero degrees, but they're all right. They have a shelter. They they have a, a those those walls of tin, and they probably have a little propane heater in there, and they probably have some hot dogs roasting on some kind of little grill in there. And they're just having a high old time because they're sheltered even though the temperatures would normally would prohibit them from being there. Um, this is a scene from, I believe this is a Vietnam War, and using sandbags to make a shelter from shells that are coming in, just sort of what may be called a blast shelter. Uh, this is the, the, the foxhole. This is always the way of war. When the missiles are flying and the bullets are coming and or the arrows, you, you find shelter. You get behind something. You get under something. You dig a hole and you fill it up with, with stuff that can absorb these impacts. Um, this is a homeless shelter. I'm not sure who started that term, but there's many of these in different places across our country and world. You know, there's people who are wandering the streets for whatever combination of reasons. They're not able to make their way. Night comes, storms come, cold comes, and these people sleep wherever they can. And many places, somehow communities have been able to use a building or a room or something and put up cots and make available food and shelter stuff, and we call them homeless shelter. 
Uh, they may be called other things. But I'm just simply pointing out the fact that there's all different kinds of things that we need shelter or that we, that we seek shelter from. The sun of all things. You know, we all love the sunshine. Yesterday was just a gorgeous day. It was a wonderful day yesterday. But I had set out a couple little tomatoes a day before that on Friday that just uh, needed to be outside because they're outgrowing their little pots that I started them in. And I put them in the garden and I was so happy with them. I put a, a little gallon bucket around them to help protect them from the wind. And I looked at them this morning and they got scalded. They got fried yesterday. Their leaves, their top leaves are white. They were, they were nice and green when I put them out there. Now they're white because even though that sun didn't feel so hot yesterday, it was pleasant to a plant, a young tender plant, it just fried it. I, I, know, I think they'll come back, I hope. But this is a canopy. This is a, shelter, a sun shelter. I mean, the, you know, the first picture, we were sheltering ourselves from the cold. Next thing you turn around, we're sheltering ourselves from the heat. Because shelter is essential. Here's a tornado shelter. Um, a shelter, a hole down in the ground where uh, when the news comes that the storm is heading towards town, the storm's coming. I mean, people are scurrying like ants to get into their tornado shelters because it saves their lives. And that's what shelter means. That's what shelter is about. Um, it's been a long time since I've read about Maslow's pyramid. I don't remember all of the, I don't remember, or Maslow's hierarchy, I think it was. I don't remember all of it, but it was food and shelter. I remember that part. I'm sure there were a couple other things that he's saying. Basically, human beings have to have to survive. <clears throat> we are not equipped or we are not able to survive if we don't have shelter. The ark was a shelter for Noah and his family. And God put them in, God closed them in that, saying, now, in all of the what's left, I will take care of it. You have erected your shelter, and I will guide that, and I will take care of that, <clears throat> which he did. <clears throat> okay, let's set the ark aside for a second and talk about some other issues in our lives that we need we need to seek shelter from because they are the flood that we deal with. We, of course, are not dealing with a physical flood of water. But we have a, we have a culture where we live that the, the Apostle Peter refers to in one of his letters as a flood of dissipation. Dissipation means um, wild, crazy, and dangerous stuff. And he says, Peter said, people think that you're weird if you don't plunge into the same flood. But the idea that he would use the word flood means that, um, that the culture and the cultural norms that are wild, crazy, and dangerous are not two inches deep. They're two miles deep. And we have to, they will drown us. They will overwhelm us. Because they are so deep. They are so strong. They come at us like a flood. They are a threat to our survival spiritually. Now, um, 
as I said here, we know it's a different kind of flood, but we still need, we need the ability to be at peace, to feel as if we're protected, because that's what Noah had. I'm sure the first few moments when the ark began to come off of its mooring or whatever it was that, that Noah had built for it, and that water began to lift, I'm sure it was a few butterflies on Noah's part and his family. I mean, it must have seemed pretty crazy thinking, how will this go? When will this end? Where will we be? Where will we end up? And so forth. When you build a boat and it doesn't have a steering wheel on it, it it's a little bit different. But yet, in that point is where you have to trust God. And that's what I want to say with our time here that we have left. First of all, I want to mention four areas that are mentioned in the New Testament that are areas that we just are overwhelmed or as, as Christians, as believers, seem to be similar perhaps to the flood. And I picked this word um, from Ephesians 6, for we wrestle not or we struggle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces and so forth. That, that points out that if you're, if you're trying to stay alive in a flood, you're facing a struggle. And you're doing a wrestling match with the water. You hope that you can swim. You hope that there's not too much things, too many things burdening you down. You hope that you don't slam into too much debris. Because if you do, you're going to lose that wrestling match. You're going to lose that struggle. And so this tells us in the New Testament that we struggle like an overwhelming flood against us, our spiritual forces. <clears throat> the, the Apostle Peter says that your enemy, the devil, is like a roaring lion, prowling about, roaring around, looking whom he can devour. So there's, a, there's an evil force at work. Um, it's not something we can look out and see, but we can sense it when we read the papers or when we watch the news. Um, I, last night before I went to bed, I thought, I wonder if they got the king set off on his way over there in England. So I turned the TV on, and I saw, I didn't even know what channel I had, but when I turned it on, it said, Coronation of King Charles. I thought, oh, okay, this is what I wanted to see, whether they got it pulled off or not. And just curiosity. And... I was, I was astounded to see that instead of over in England at Buckingham Palace, they're out at Texas at some mall where somebody had just shot the place up. And it was a special newscast because people had been killed and people had been injured. Um, Satan is a roaring lion, and he's seeking whom he can devour. And, and there are many schemes with which he works within, within our culture. And it's, it's huge, it's deep, it's overwhelming. The Bible also tells us, Jesus himself told us, that, that we, uh, we will be struggling against, we will be struggling to be accepted as a Christian, as a believer, as a, as a follower of Christ, that we will be much misaligned and we have to, we have to swim against that current. I want to read these verses in Luke 21, verse 12. Before all this, Jesus said, they will lay hands on you and persecute you. They will deliver you to synagogues and, per and prisons, and you will be brought before the kings and governors, and all on account of my name. 
This will result in your being witnesses to them. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or, contract or, or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers, relatives, and friends. They will put some of you to death. All men will hate you because of me. But not a hair of your head will perish. By standing firm, you will gain life. That's a, that's a tremendous comfort. That's an ark. Those words of Jesus that saying, saying, listen, people will be trying to put you to death. People will be trying to persecute you. But they won't be able to harm you because I'm protecting you. And I will give you the words to say. I will fill you with the, with the, the resistance to the storm. But this is like a flood. A third one, maybe similar a little bit to the first, but I'm not talking now just simply about our spiritual enemy, the devil. I'm talking about his many disciples and followers, some who don't even realize at all that they're following Satan, that they're, that they're caught up in the deception of Satan. But there are many, many people so that it becomes a whole cultural issue where where it seems that our world is bent on proving that there is no God. And that's what I'm, I'm calling here anti-God culture. A, a, God, a culture that wants to cancel the mention of God, the presence of God, the recognition of God, certainly the worship of God. It's, it's always amazing to me how desperate many people seem to be who say they are an atheist or they are a an unbeliever, to cancel out the belief of everybody else. I don't understand why it would harm them. I don't understand the significance of, of why it would bother someone or get them so agitated if someone wants to believe in God. It's a simple, uh, non, it's, it's a simple idea. It's not hurting anyone, and yet people get violent over it because um, of, of this hostility. In Colossians 2, verse 8, it says, See to it that none of you are taken captive through the hollow, deceptive philosophy that depends on human tradition. And the, the, the principles of this world rather than, than through Christ. Than, than Christ. It's a big, that's a, a big battle. That's a big struggle. Because... Uh, we face it coming at us constantly and continuously. And then I want to just mention one more. And we could, you could think of many others, I know. But uh, this also seems to me uh, an issue so vast and so big that it comes at us, believers in Christ in the 21st century, like an overwhelming flood. And that is that there are so many who are unbelievers, who are ignorant of God, and therefore make such a mess of their lives that we have to help pick up the pieces. And sometimes it seems so burdensome, it seems so tiresome when people could fix these messes by turning to God and living His way, by following the Ten Commandments, by following the teaching of Christ, their lives could be such better shape. And we watch them where they ignore all that make an absolute butchery of their lives, and then somehow or other we're supposed to 
have compassion and we need to help. And many times these are family members and people that we love and have known our whole lives. But they live in ignorance. And therefore, we have to deal with the fallout of either trying to correct them or even to comfort them or cheer them up because they're all confused or they're distraught. They're all messed up. And, and this is a continual part of being a Christian in today's world. Nothing we can do about it unless we wanted to withdraw somehow and just simply drop out of society. The unbelievers, the atheists, the agnostics, and by that I mean college professors, I mean news reporters, I mean politicians and policymakers, and TV writers and movie producers. There's just a host of people in our society and in our culture of, who are influential. And it's, they flood the world with their books and their babble. And this water of ignorance just rises up around us. Ignorance of God. And, and becomes a, a, a flood of futility. People grow up in this. People see the movies. People attend, hear, the, hear the lectures. People take in so much uh, so, so much that is against God, and they despair. And they feel like their lives are futile. It's a flood of futility. And we, as believers, are called on to, to somehow sus- sustain ourselves against, against that flood <clears throat> because the flood is from that which is spiritually blind and spiritually ignorant. So, let me go to this box and make the point that I feel like the Lord laid on my heart, especially for this morning. We're told to resist the devil, and we're told that in all kinds of ways. All sorts of, all sorts of word pictures about stand up, don't be, don't be scared, don't, don't back down, fight the devil, he will flee from you, resist him, and so forth. This is what we're told, and it's true, and we need to do that, and that's part, of the, that's part of our response to the flood. The ark had to stand against the waves in the water. It says that Noah coated it with pitch, which I take to be tar, inside and outside. That's, <laughs> that'd take a long time. But the, he needed to make it seaworthy because it needed to resist the water. It needed to stand up and not allow the water to come inside or to smash it up. So we need to do that. But when you contrast this image with a different one, it's amazing to me. Because while the walls were standing there resisting, right inside the walls were the family of Noah relaxing. And saying, you know, the ark will take care of us. And that's... um, the other side of surviving the flood is understanding the purpose of the shelter and literally taking shelter. This is, there's part of us, there's part of this, the scripture that says fight. Fight back against Satan. Stand up against Satan. Don't let Satan tromp right over top of you. Don't let him wash his waters over you and drown you. On the other hand, there are also scriptures that say trust God. Rest in God. We must also, and I'm using this word also, I'm emphasizing this word also, we must also trust in God's power. 
not simply try ourselves to resist, which is important, but we must also trust in God's power and receive God's peace. So let me say it like this. How did Noah resist the flood? Well, after he built the ark, then he rested in the ark. Yes, he had to spend time constructing this. But he resisted by resting. He refused to let it get to him. He refused to, th- the, to let the power of the water and the noise of the storm drown out his peace. He said, nah, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to eat some, have a snack before I go to bed. And, and I don't even know how deep is the water underneath me. I don't even know where I'm at. I don't know how long I'll be in here. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm going to go to eat a snack and go to bed. His fight against the water was his faith in God. That's, the, that's the, the point I hope that you can think of and take with you this morning. That the shelter gave him peace. And there's power in peace. And peace is power. When I have peace in my life, then all the devils of hell don't scare me. When I have peace in my life, the greatest flood that could possibly come my way isn't going to wash me away. Because I have peace. I am resting in the shelter. It doesn't matter what the storm. It doesn't matter what the flood. And so let me close with this verse. And then we're going to sing a shelter. The Lord's my rock and him I hide. He's a shelter in the time of storm. Um, this is the verse, the verses in 2 Corinthians 5 that says, Look, we are, we indeed are hard pressed. In other words, it is, it is no secret that the flood is is swooshing and whooshing all around us and it presses us down we are perplexed we are persecuted we are battered we are struck down that's all true but look at the response of someone who shelters their heart within the lord's power within the ark of god even though i'm i'm persecuted i'm not abandoned so life goes on even though I'm perplexed. I'm not in despair. Life goes on. Even though the flood is crashing around me, I'm in the ark. And this is what I'm saying. There is is a side of it where we need to resist and stand against Satan. But there's another side where we need to just quit quit everything and trust God. and, And put our trust in Him. And that's what Noah did. And he's an example of that to us. I don't know what particular flood you might feel like right now is on your life or has has kind of got you up and is caught up but this is my this is my word this is this is the lord's word to us this morning amidst all the resisting don't forget to rest don't forget to trust heavenly father this is something that some of us find very hard to do we are happy to get up and resist. We're happy to shoot out of, back out of the foxhole and resist the enemy. But to rest in the foxhole, to trust you in the flood, is sometimes very hard because we, we don't have a clear view of the ark. We forget that its walls are sturdy and covered with tar and that your hand upon us will not abandon us, as the scripture says. And so we worry and we fear. 
Let us today see it in a new way. And whatever struggle we might have, let us leave here saying, well, that's going to be on the outside. But with the power of God's Spirit, I'm going to rest in Christ. And I'm going to rest in the work of Christ. It's already finished, already done. And I will trust in God. And I will rest in God when the storm rages around me. And I will be saved through the flood. I will be sheltered. We praise you and we thank you. And we will seek to do this in our daily lives. Through Christ we pray.